Well, good morning, my friends. Um, it is uh, a beautiful day. It's the 23rd of February. This is podcast number 489. Um, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. And uh, we're in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, let me read this prayer over you that, again, I found in Ron Rhodes' book, 40 Days Through Revelation, which is becoming a staple in my life. Uh, I get more out of these podcasts than anybody. I say that to everybody. I don't mean that that's what I want to happen. I want you to be able to get as much or more as I get out of my study time. But um, I am loving this study. I said before, I um, haven't spent much of my time in my 40 years of ministry and 40 years of being a Christian in the book of Revelation. I have spent some, but I've taken a deep dive into the book of Revelation. I believe the time is now to do it. So let me pray for us. Lord, I ask you to open my eyes, our eyes, to enhance our understanding so that we can grasp what you want us to learn today. I also ask you to enable us by your spirit to apply the truths we learn to our daily lives and to be guided moment by moment by your word in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks. Here's our memory verse. Um, Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in them, for the time is near. I think I believe that I think it's a good good, um, program, a plan to uh, not just read the scripture, but to read it aloud. So read Revelation aloud as you're reading it. Maybe read it to yourself. So you're here, <laughs> excuse me, you're hearing it and you're reading it and you're getting the full blessing. As we look at verse 10 and 11 today, that's all we'll cover. It says, I was in the spirit, John talking on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet uh, saying, write what you see in the book. Uh, in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. This is not the only time in Revelation where John is caught up in the Spirit. And what I believe this teaches us and in, 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 in my studies is this, is this is not something sought by John. It's not like he he grew up, uh, got up that day and said, I'm going to have a spiritual experience or an ecstatic experience in the Holy Spirit. I think that's being taught today, and I think that's something we should be very leery of. I think we get up, we pray, we ask the Lord uh, what he has for us today, and whatever he motivates us and or, or, or does in us should motivate us towards growing closer to him, not to having spiritual experiences. Not that spiritual experiences are bad. John's not saying that. But this is not something I believe that John got up and planned. I believe he allowed himself to be in the presence of God on the Lord's Day, which I believe is just a regular Sunday. Uh, It's not the Lord's Day like the day of the Lord. I think they're completely different. Uh, And again, other people may disagree. But I believe this this is the day that John just got up to celebrate. And now go back to what he's what he's going through. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's there because of the word of God and the, and the testimony of Jesus. He is suffering. He is not in great conditions. He's an older man, very old man. And he's probably sleeping on the ground. He's probably being treated very poorly. And he's there to be treated poorly and to die for the word of God 
and the testimony of Jesus. So he's not there because he chose to be there and he's not there because he did something wrong. Now, uh, back to being in the spirit on the Lord's day. Look at chapter four and verse two of Revelation. In chapter four, we have almost another prologue, another separate um, portion of scripture, Revelation 4 and 5. It's a preparation for something greater. We're going to see now he's going to be in the throne room of God. He's been called up. Look at verse 2. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. The one seated on the throne would have been the father. The one next to him would have been the son. But he's again called up in the spirit. Nothing he worked up, but something that God was doing uh, through the Holy Spirit in his life. Look at uh, Revelation 17, verse 3. And he carried me away into the Spirit, into a wilderness. And I saw a woman, woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and horns. We're not going to get into the seven heads and the ten horns. We're not going to get into this. We're just relating that, that John had other experiences, <coughs> excuse me, where he was caught up in the Spirit. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 10. Revelation 21, verse 10. <clears throat> and he, uh, the Holy Spirit, carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So this was not a one-time experience. That's the point of this, uh, going through these scriptures. Four different times in Revelation, um, he's caught up in the Spirit, drawn away in the Spirit, carried away in the Spirit, and God is doing a work in him. Now look at John chapter 16. Jesus teaching about what the Holy Spirit would do because he's getting ready to leave and he would leave them. And he said, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you alone. But in John chapter 16, look at verse 13. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, all working in perfect triunity, the, the, the triune God, to bring about what God wants to do. Now, being in the spirit or being drawn up in the spirit, again, is not something sought, but it's something that happens. Uh, in the Old Testament, it happened to men of God. Um, look at Isaiah chapter six. And um, I know I'm gonna belabor this point today. I'm gonna belabor this point and the trumpets, so just be ready. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe <clears throat> filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his, full of his glory. We're going to see this later in Revelation 4, Revelation 5, um, this throne room and this heavenly worship. And the foundations of the threshold shook at his voice, the voice of him who called, and the, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost. I'm a, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And for my eyes have seen the, the king... The Lord of hosts, the response to the holiness of God is not, look, um, look at me, I'm in the spirit. 
John wasn't saying that. He was in the spirit because the Lord brought him into this spiritual relationship and experience. And it was a powerful thing. Again, it was not something he sought, but he sought the Lord. Isaiah did and John did, and we'll see here, Paul as well had a, a, a spiritual experience like this. Again, this is not something we seek. We seek the Lord and we allow what he wants to do in and through us to happen. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 12. So we see John's experience. We see Isaiah's experience. Let's see Paul's experience. He's although speaking in the third person here or speaking about like it's somebody else. We know that he's speaking about himself, but he doesn't want to be bragging. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to the visions and revelations of the Lord. So I'm boasting about the visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, he doesn't name himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the spirit or whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And uh, I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. What a powerful uh, experience. And Paul doesn't even mention his name, but he also doesn't mention what happened. So this is not, again, something we seek after. People are always seeking these spiritual experiences. We need to seek the Lord. The Bible says why he may be found. And then we need to to, to allow God to do whatever he wants to do. In this situation, uh, John was going to be given a divine command. So he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. Again, probably a Sunday he was learning um, and celebrating and spending time with Christ. And again, this was a horrible place where he was at, but he wasn't allowing his conditions to control the situation. He wasn't allowing his conditions to control the situation. And there's something to be learned in that for all of us. And all of a sudden, a loud voice behind him probably scared him probably startled him at the very least, he says, and I heard a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, remember the historical and grammatical context of this, of, of everything in scripture. It has to fit within the scripture and the grammatical context has to fit within the framework there. So it has to mean what it meant for them before it can mean anything for us. So the historical content uh, or context and the grammatical context of the trumpet would have brought, boom, the attention to the Jews that a trumpet had sounded in a, in a sense when this voice went. Now, why is this so incredibly important? Because trumpets were important to the Jews. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to work on this, um, and I'm going to teach on these trumpets, and then that's probably about all we're going to get today. But Leviticus chapter 23, one of the first five books of the Bible in the Pentateuch, in Leviticus 23, verses 24 and 25, let's go, yeah, 23, 24, and 25, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so the Lord is speaking to Moses. This is incredibly important. Speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation, and you shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. 
Now, maybe this was was what um, John had in mind when he was on uh, the Isle of Patmos and he was presenting. He wasn't working, but he was presenting himself to the Lord. And and just like uh, then there would be a trumpet blast and just like uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, maybe that's what happened. We have this voice that's like a trumpet blast. He didn't need... Um, he didn't need any pomp and circumstance, but he was celebrating the Lord. And to this day, this is called the Feast of Trumpets, and it's celebrated to this day by the Jews. Why? Trumpets meant something to them. They were taught to be aware. They were taught to pay attention. Now turn to Numbers, which is just right after Leviticus. You'll see Numbers and go to Numbers chapter 10. I hope this isn't boring to you. It's so, so important that we catch the historical and grammatical context of this. Numbers chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses again. Must be important, right? Make two silver trumpets of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them for, look, underline these things, for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. He's got millions of people, so he summons the congregation, not with his voice, but with the trumpet, which is, by the way, equal to his voice. Catch that. And then to break the camp. And when both are blown, all the congregations shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meetings because they're going to meet with God or they're going to hear from God. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall blow the trumpets. So it's the work of the priest to blow the trumpets. Catch this. The trumpet shall be to you for a perpetual statute, uh, statute ongoing, ongoing, throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies on that day of your gladness also and at your appointed feast and at the beginnings of your month, you shall blow the trumpets, offer your burnt offerings and offer the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God, the uh, the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. The trumpets meant something to them. So when he mentions there's a trumpet, a voice like a trumpet, they would have, they would have, they would have jumped and and in their hearing and their understanding, and they would have prepared because it wasn't as much the trumpet as what is to follow when the trumpet blast happens. It wasn't just the sound of the trumpet; it was the message that would come next. This is incredibly important for us. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Well, Gary, that's just the Old Testament. No, it's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 8. Paul's teaching about um, uh, spiritual worship. He's talking about the gifts and he's talking about love and he's talking about messages to the congregation and how they need to be perceived and how they need to be clear. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 8. And if the bugle, King James trumpet, gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? He's talking about the confusion in this church in Corinth about spiritual gifts and about tongues and about the operation of all these gifts. And he says, if the trumpet 
doesn't give a, uh, or gives an, an indistinct sound, then who will get ready for battle? Go back to Leviticus and go back to Numbers and you see that the trumpets meant something to prepare them. And if there's an indistinct sound of a trumpet, the people won't be prepared for battle. This is important. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a minister, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. There will be a distinct trumpet sound at the end of time for you and for me. It is important that we understand the significance of a clear sound. Now, Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Hopefully this is, this is helpful in us understanding why this voice was loud and it sounded like a trumpet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I believe this is a rapture scripture and we need to, to memorize it and we need to understand it. Verse, third, verse 13, or excuse me, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Old Testament and the New Testament are one book. There is a common thread through it, and it's the salvation of the Lord. It's the redemption of God's people. And from the first, when when Moses is given the um, the law and the commandments, and he's and he's given all the instruction on how worship shall happen, how now everything shall happen, till the end book of Revelation, the sixty sixth book, the final book, there is a clear message, and that is that there needs to be a clear message to the church. Now. I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a minute. How clear is the message that the church is giving today? John's on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. How clear is the message in the church that you're attending? How clear are the messages you're listening to? Are they the word of God? Are they the testimony of Jesus Christ? Jesus comes up in the midst of John on the Isle of Patmos in this horrible condition, and he's got a mission for him, and he's got a divine command to give him, and he and his voice sounds like the clarion trumpet, the loud blast of the trumpet, and what's next is what's important, just like in the Old Testament, just like in First uh, Corinthians, and just like in First Thessalonians, the trumpet is important, but the message after the trumpet is the reason for the trumpet. So John equates the voice of God to this trumpet. And what's the message that is next? Look at verse 11. It says to him, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. It is what follows the trumpet which is significant. It's which sound uh, or follows the voice of Jesus Christ to John that is significant. John equates the volume and the power of this voice to a trumpet. And what follows is most important. He is told to write. He's given the divine command, be obedient and write God's words to God's people. 
as God's messenger. He's handpicked seven. God's handpicked seven churches. Seven is the, the number of completion. These weren't the only churches, but the message that would be given to these seven churches would be the complete message that they needed to receive. And that message would be to them and to all generations and to our generation as well. Many were discouraged. Many had compromised. They needed correction. Some of them needed condemnation, uh, but they also needed commendation for what they were doing and instruction to be given. They need to, to prepare for even greater tribulation to come and the, also to be encouraged to, to stay true, to stay strong, to persevere, to overcome and to receive a crown. We're going to get into the message that, that God gave to John and to those seven churches and to you and I tomorrow. Let me close in prayer. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God bless you until we talk again.